book of First John, First John in chapter two. And we're going to begin reading at verse 28 and read through uh, chapter three, verse 10. So First John chapter two and verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Let's hear the preaching of God's word. Ten-year-old Bobby is taking piano lessons and he's losing heart. Every day after school, he drags himself into the living room and plunks out his scales and songs Uh, keeping one eye on the clock and the other eye on his friends outside playing football and just longing for his 30 minutes to be up so he can join them in the game. He's clearly lacking motivation to practice. Now imagine with me that one afternoon an angel visits Bobby in the living room And in a vision, he's taken to an auditorium packed with thousands of people listening intently to a young man on stage giving a concert on the piano, and his fingers just seem to fly up and down that keyboard effortlessly producing uh, the most beautiful music that holds him spellbound along with the audience watching. He's totally engulfed in it. He's, He's forgetful of his friends out playing football. He's forgetful of everything but that. He's mesmerized. He never realized that someone could play the piano so beautifully. And then the vision fades, and Bobby's back in the living room with the angel. And the angel says, Bobby, that wonderful pianist that you saw on stage is you 
in 10 years. But you must practice. Do you think those afternoon practice sessions would ever be the same for Bobby? Never again. Remembering what he's going to become gives him the motivation that he lacked. Seeing in his mind's eye, playing on that stage one day, gave him the boost, the the stimulus that he needed. And here's our lesson this morning. In the same way, child of God, remembering what you are going to become one day is critical to your ongoing pursuit of purity, of holiness, of life and character. Remembering what you're going to become is the motivation you need to go on purifying yourself from everything that contaminates both body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. That's the power of hope. Hope, the great motivator. So we're returning to our our study on the four uh, key graces of the Christian life. And we've come to the grace of hope, its critical importance. Uh, We've seen hope defined as the confident expectation of future good. We've noted that this hope is certain. It's not iffy. It's certain. And that it's fixed on some future good. We've seen that our hope is a living hope, as we just heard, because of the mercy of God and uniting us to Christ and raising him from the dead. Now, we come today then to hope purifying. Hope purifying. Do you ever get tired of resisting the world's temptations and allurements to sins? Do you ever grow weary of the the battle of of your own inward remaining sinful desires and that sin that so easily entangles you? Well, what if I could encourage you by showing you what you are going to become someday? That's my aim this morning. No, I'm no angel, and I have no new visions to give you about your future, but I do have a sure word from God that does just that for you, child of God. God himself takes you in his word right into the future and shows you what you are going to be. And in that sure hope, you have the motivation you need to press on, purifying yourself in an impure world and with remaining impure desires within. We begin this morning in Romans 8, 28. We're coming to John 3, so if you have your Bible open there, keep it a note there or something, but we're going to start in Romans 8, 28 and 29. Familiar turf in scripture, but I wonder if you've ever noticed the role of hope in this passage. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. Now, why is this verse such a popular comfort to the people of God? Well, it's because of the hope it gives. The hope it gives. It assures me that in all things in my life, including my worst things, God is doing something. He is working it together for some future good. Now, he's not doing that for everyone. You notice it's only for those who love him. 
and who are the called according to his purpose. What is that purpose for which he's called you? He's called you to Jesus Christ for a purpose. And and what is that purpose? Well, he doesn't leave us guessing. Verse 29 spells it out. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this verse does for us what the angel's vision did for Bobby. It takes us forward in time to show us what we are going to become. So there you are, Christian, perfectly conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, bearing the the moral likeness of your elder brother. Not some vague resemblance of Jesus. No, just like him. That means loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Just like Jesus does. That means no more impure thoughts. No more mixed motives. No more sinful words. No more sinful desires. You, just like Jesus, conformed to his likeness, to his image, Now, this is the new you begun in the new birth here on earth, but now completed when Jesus returns. It's the finished product. It's the clay after it's been perfectly molded according to the purpose of the potter. And what was his purpose? That you might be conformed to the likeness of his son, Jesus. So this is your your predetermined destiny. This is is what God has predestined you to become, just like his son. That's our certain hope in the future good. And we're confidently expecting this. Now, the Bible is, is continually doing this sort of thing. It's taking us forward and showing us what we're going to be. Why? Why does God do that? To give us hope. Hope that God knows we need. Hope that motivates us to not quit. To not quit the hard battle with sin that remains in us. With the allurements of the world around us. And so he gives us this hope by taking us forward and showing us what we're going to be. So we move from Romans 8 to 1 John chapter 3. The passage that was read for us. 1 John chapter 3. Verses 1 to 3. And John says in verse 1, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John is lost in wonder and amazement. Behold, he says, step aside and look at this wonder. What kind of love has the Father lavished on us? That that we, we hell-bent sinners that deserved his wrath forever and ever, that we should be called the children of God. And not just called that, but when he calls us that, it's because that is what we really are. It's the highest privilege thinkable to have the living God as our Father and to have him own us as his children. There is no higher honor. 
Now, in this world, children of a king or a queen are given special distinguishing honors, aren't they? If you're a prince or a princess, you're treated with royal dignity. People make way for you. You're given uh, celebrity, VIP status. And if that's true of a prince or princess in this world, what is the honor of being a child of the king of heaven and earth? Being a child of the living God, who before there was anything created, existed for eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then breathed out a creation and made us and and redeemed us to himself and now owns us as his children. There is no higher honor. But right away, John realizes the dilemma. And the dilemma is this, that the world's not treating you like royalty, is it? No, it's not. Not at all. In fact, as we see in our day, they treat us like scum, like people of the forgotten past, people who don't know the way forward. We're lost. We've lost our way. We're, we're not with it. We're not treated like the royal princes and princesses of God that we are. So John realizes that. He lives in the same world. Remember, he too was persecuted and exiled for Jesus' sake. And so John explains why that is. Why is it that, that the children of God that we are are not being treated? With VIP status. Well he says the reason the world doesn't treat us like royalty. Is because they don't know we are royalty. They don't know who we are. And the reason they don't know who we are. As God's children. Is because they didn't know God the son. When he came to earth and dwelled among them. And if they don't know him. They're not going to know us. After all he's the one. Who makes us so special. He's the one that gives us the honor, the fact that we're his children and he's our father. That our special dignity rests on the dignity of whose we are. And if they treated Jesus, the son of God, with hatred and nailed him to a cross, well, then we shouldn't expect the world to treat us like something special. But John says a day is coming when Christ appears and, and that word appears uh, means when Christ is manifested, when Christ is made known, when Christ is unveiled. That word, it's, it's like a, a, a marble statue that's been carved out and is to be revealed to the town square. And, and yet it's been veiled over until the precise moment. And then the veil is pulled off and everyone sees It appears, it's manifested, it's made known. Well, that's what's going to happen when Jesus appears. He's going to be unveiled and made known for who he is. And John uses the same verb of the children of God, that in that day we too will be unveiled and made known. The reason the world doesn't know us now, the reason our royal identity is so veiled, is because our king's royal identity is veiled. Veiled, But a day is coming when Christ appears that the veil will be pulled off of him and us. There will be a double revealing, a double unveiling in that day. Then everyone will see your honor because you'll be with him 
and you'll be like him. And notice how John puts it, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God. This is the reality. We are. And what we will be has not yet been made known, unveiled to the world. But we know. They don't know, but we know that when he appears, there it is again, when he is unveiled, manifested, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, children of God, here are two things that the world doesn't know that we do know. Number one, what we are right now. We're the royal children of God. They don't know what we do. Number two, what we will be at Christ's coming. They don't know it. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We know that. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. And to see him as he is, is to be made like him as he is. For the child of God. That's our predetermined destiny. That's, that's what God has predestined us to. That was the purpose he saved us, that we might see him and be made like him. And then we'll be known and honored for who we are, the children of the King of Kings, bearing the perfect likeness of the Son of God. No doubt about whose we are and who we are then. Our moral likeness will be complete, likeness to Jesus, so that even our lowly bodies, not just our spirits, but our lowly bodies will be transformed and in the likeness of Christ's glorious body. Now, notice the dynamic process by which this transformation takes place. To see Christ as he is, is to be made like him. That's the process. When you see glory in Jesus, that seeing him transforms us into his likeness. And this power is operative in the Christian right now. That's what's happening in the believer's life. As we see Christ in the scriptures, because that is right now where he's being unveiled and revealed, is in the scriptures. One day, he's going to come again and his glory will be unveiled for all to see. But for right now, his glory is seen here. And as we see him as he is, what happens? The Holy Spirit transforms us into his likeness. That's how Christ is being formed in us right now. Seeing him We're made like him. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. He's been talking about the lost person, the people of the world who read the scriptures. Some of them every week as they go into synagogue, he says, but their hearts have a veil over them, so they don't see glory in Jesus. And then he says this, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we who with unveiled faces behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see the dynamic process. As we see the Lord Jesus for who he is, the Spirit of God is transforming us into his likeness. That same process is what's going to happen in the last day when Jesus comes back and his people see him as he is and we will be made like him fully and finally. At his coming. Face to face meeting with Christ. Will finish the process forever. The transformation begun in the new birth. Will then be made complete. At his appearing. We will then be the perfect mirror image of Christ. 
That's the purpose for which he saved us. Our predetermined destiny. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but what John's been talking about is our hope. He hasn't used that word yet, but he's going to right now. Look at verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope. What hope? Well, this hope that I've been talking about. That when Jesus appears, you're going to see him as he is, child of God, and you'll be made like him. Everyone who has that hope in him purifies himself. Of being just like him upon seeing him. His image perfectly restored in us. As Paul says, just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And John identifies this as no small part of the believer's hope. This is that confident expectation we have of the future good. What is that future good? That we'll be made like Christ. That the work, as we sang, the work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. That's our glorious hope. And so John is doing what Paul did in Romans 8, 29. He's taking us forward in time to show us what we are going to become. Now, verse 3 tells us the very practical effect of this hope. Why does John do this? Why does Paul do this? Why does Jesus do this? Why does Peter do this? Why do the scriptures constantly take us forward and show us what we're going to be? It's interesting. It's to purify us and to move us to purify ourselves. You see that in verse 3. Hope is a purifying hope. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Interesting. That according to the mind of God, everyone who sees the glory and purity of Jesus for who he is will be purifying themselves to become more and more like him. Now, to be sure, not everyone thinks of it that way. Some actually think that, well, Shoot, if, if, if I'm going to see Christ someday and, and on that moment I, I'm going to be made perfectly like him, well then I don't need to be all that concerned about purifying myself here and now anymore. I can lighten up and relax in this world, relax my efforts at trying to be holy now, since after all he's going to completely finish the job no matter how far I progressed in this life. When I see him, it's going to be done forever. So, kick back, John. Wait till that day to be made pure. It makes sense, doesn't it? That's, that's clearly logical, isn't it? The only problem is the devil's logic and not God's. It's, it's also the logic and the theology of the Roman Catholic Church that says if you give someone a certain hope, assurance, that one day they're going to see Christ and be like him. In other words, enter into that eternal life. If you give someone their a sure hope in that, well, then they won't be very busy about coming to church and giving their money and doing good and trying to live a pure life. 
And so the church, the Roman church, holds out no sure hope to the believer. So the believer never knows if he's done enough good. He never knows if he's pure enough yet to make it into heaven in that day. And that keeps him, you see, in this uncertainty and fear which the church wants in order to motivate him to do the good stuff. To attend church, to give the money, to treat their neighbors well, and so forth. But the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks a completely different message. Absolutely opposite to that. It rather assures the believer in Christ that he has done enough Enough good to save us. That he has purified us by his blood and assures us that when we see Jesus, he'll make us as pure as himself. We have that certainty, that sure hope. And that's what motivates us to purify ourselves now. It's the great motivator. Not to save us, as Rome teaches, but because Christ has saved us by his blood. And because he has assured me that one day he will make me just like himself. So why did the angel show Bobby what he was going to become someday? Was it so he would quit his lessons? So he would just play football all afternoon every day? Since after all, I know now that I'm going to be that guy up on stage one day. Playing beautiful music. No, no, he showed him the future to give him hope, the great motivator to practice more, not less, with all of his heart now. Bobby, this is you in 10 years, but you must practice. That's why he was given the hope. And even so, God doesn't hold hope before us to make us lighten up in our efforts to be holy now. As if our hope is to make us careless about purity. Careless and lazy and complacent. I know I'm in at the end. That's all I really care about, Pastor. Is that, is that why God gives you assurance of heaven? No, it's, it's to make you purify yourself. Just as he is pure. Here and now. This hope motivates all who have it to purify themselves now just as he is pure. This hope stimulates all who have it to make every effort to be holy as he is holy. I need to tell you that 1 John 3.3 is not a command. It is a statement of fact. Now in the Greek language, there are endings on the word that tell you whether it's a command or whether it's just a statement of fact. This is not a command. It's not an imperative. It's an indicative. It states a fact. So John is not telling you uh, that this is something you should do. You should purify yourself just as he is pure. That's not what he's saying at all. You ought to purify yourself. No. Rather, it's an indicative. It's a statement of fact. And John is saying this, that everyone who has this hope in Christ is purifying himself. Right now, just as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope is doing this. No exceptions. Everyone. If you really have this hope, 
of seeing Christ as he is and becoming like him, then right now in this life, you're getting on with the program. You're continually purifying yourself now with the encouragement that you're, you're not on some fool's errand. You're not pursuing a pipe dream, some, some dream that will never happen. No, you, you one day will arrive when you see Christ. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just to see his pure. Do you have that hope? What does your life say? Are you purifying yourself just as he is pure? Hope is an active grace. You see, we saw that with love. We saw that with faith. These are active graces in the Christian life. If if they're not, it's dead faith. If, If it's not, it's a worthless love. And so it is with our hope. If our hope is not actively causing us to purify ourselves, we know we don't have it. We don't have what the Bible's talking about. We've got some other kind of hope. Not everybody who claims to have a sure hope for heaven really possesses it. Here's the way you know. Am I right now purifying myself? Because everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. That's why the Bible is continually holding before us our future hope. God knows that it's the motivating power that we need to continue the fight against our flesh, against the world, and against the devil. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again. The New Testament is far more future-oriented than most believers in the West, John Heaney included. We, We are meant to be looking forward. We're meant to be lifting up our eyes because our redemption is drawing near. Because that sure hope will do something for us now. It will motivate us to purify ourselves and not just to cave in to temptation. Paul says the same thing to Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 to 14. He says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us, that is the grace of God in the gospel, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to say yes and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager who to do what is good. So there you have it. Again, here we are right now in this present age, and we're constantly being bombarded with temptation, and we need to say no to ungodliness, And to worldly passions, and some of them we find in our own breasts, our own hearts, that we still have worldly desires, and and we're to say no to them, no to them every time, and yes to self-control, yes to godliness, yes to purity. Now, what's going to enable us to not grow weary in this battle? Because we fight this battle all the way to the end. It's hope. While we wait, you see, we're saying no and we're saying yes, while we wait for the blessed hope, the happy hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. We know what he's, what he's bringing when he's coming. We know he's bringing that final completion in our hearts to make us just like himself. And that reality is to enter into our fights with sin. 
Men, as you're ready to look at a picture that you know you shouldn't look at, right then you need to remember what you're going to be someday. When, when you're growing weary of doing good and you're ready to just quit, that's when you need to bring that blessed hope, that happy hope into your mind and experience. One day I won't have this temptation. I'm on the winning side. Jesus is coming. He's going to finish the work. Therefore, I'm going to purify myself and say no to ungodliness. When does Bobby need to remember what it was that he's going to become? It's, it's when the, the football field has this lure on his heart that starts pulling him that way. It's when he's growing weary with the scales and doing all of his lessons. It's then that he needs to remember what he's going to become someday. The blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify. There's that word. To purify for himself a people who are his very own eager for good works. You see, what Jesus did at the cross 2,000 years ago guarantees what he's going to do when he comes back one day. He died on the cross to do what? To purify a people who will be his very own, eager to do what is good. And one day, he's coming back. And all those that he purified on the cross are going to be purified when they see him as he is and will be made just like him. Paul had his eye on this future hope of his final perfection at Christ's return. He says in Philippians 3, 12 and following, not that I've already attained all of this or have already been made perfect. That's what his eyes on. You see, that's the blessed hope. I'm going to be made perfect. And he said, but now don't, don't you all get up the misunderstanding. Not as if I've already arrived yet. I've already been made perfect. No, but I press on. Press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. The same thing. To what? To be like him. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Why has God called us? Why? What's the purpose for which he's called us? It's to be like Christ, his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren that bear his likeness. And the certainty of Paul's hope didn't relax his efforts, but made him strain all the harder for a pure life. So all these texts are telling us that we cannot afford to live in this world with Remaining sin yet in our hearts and a devil at our heels. We can't afford to live without the blessed hope in view. God knows we need the motivation to purify ourselves. So Peter says, fix your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Keep your hope fixed on that. You're going to be like him. And be holy as he is holy. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. How do we do that? How do we purify ourselves? 
That's a critical question to ask of the text. Well, you, you make use of all the means that God has given you to purify your life. And one of the chief means is the word of God. Do you know that it's here that you see Jesus Christ for who he is? And as you see him, the Holy Spirit is doing something in your heart. It's making you like him. So if I'm to purify myself, that means I've got to make this the book of my life. I might know many other books, but this is the book. And I know it best because it reveals him who died to save me. And in seeing him, I'm being made like him. So how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to his word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's purity, you see. And every day the world is holding its glory before you. Sin's pleasures are being held before you. Every day the temptations are there. Are you every day having the greater glory of Christ held before you? The greater pleasure of knowing him and fellowshipping with him. You you see, that's why the word of God is so critical. And in purifying ourselves, we, we need this book. Jesus said, now are you pure through the word that I have spoken to you, John 15, 3. And then prayer. Oh, God, you know the the temptations of my heart. Uh, Don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Jesus teaches us to pray that way for purity. Fellowship. To stimulate each other toward purity of life in an impure world. The Lord's Supper, baptism, all the means of grace. And then there's, how do we purify ourselves? We avoid everything that contaminates body and spirit. What is it that, that makes your time with Jesus less tasteful? less enjoyable what what practice what 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 function what what thing you do or 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 don't do what is it that that puts distance between get rid of it anything that contaminates body and spirit get rid of it as paul says throw off whatever hinders you what whatever whatever entangles you get rid of it get rid of all moral filth james 121 and humbly accept the word planted in you So we carefully avoid all the contamination of sin if we're purifying ourselves. So if I find my right hand leading me into sin, Jesus says, better to have that hand cut off than to enter into heaven or to hell with both hands. To enter into heaven with one hand. In other words, get serious about the occasions of sin. Getting rid of all contamination. How do we purify ourselves? We wash regularly in that fountain that's open for sin and uncleanness. You know what that fountain is. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that stain or that that flood lose all their guilty stains. The blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. If we if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all ungodliness so so how do we purify ourselves as he is pure we bring our sins to jesus and we wash in that precious fountain. we look to the cross we trust afresh that that blood cleanses me from sin you promised it and i'm coming to confess not hiding covering what i am complacent in what i am just bringing myself into the light as you are in the light and owning what i am seeking mercy seeking pardon seeking cleansing Well, 
everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So that's full circle of God's purposes in the universe for those called according to his purpose. How were we originally created according to God's purpose? We were created in the image of God, weren't we? We were created in the likeness of God. We, we, were, we were a mirror to, to reflect his glory. That's what it was to be made in his image. No other creature uh, was such a mirror to God. Oh, but then the fall into sin happened and, and marred that image. And, and now man in sin resembles more the devil in his works than we do God in Christ. Oh, but Jesus came to destroy the devil's works and to restore his image in us. And he's begun it in the new birth. He's secured it by his blood on Calvary. And one day he's coming back again to finish it. Just as he could say from the cross, it is finished, one day he'll be able to say regarding my sanctification and yours, it is finished. You're just like me. You're the mirror image now of me. You see, creation, fall, redemption. What's the aim of God? What's the purpose of God? It's to have image bearers fill the whole universe. And so he will have a people who will do just that. He'll create a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness, where his people will reflect his glory. So what's our response? Finish then your new creation. Pure and spotless, let us be. Did you hear the, the purifying ourselves from that? We, we know that's coming. Then finish it, Lord. And that means right now I, I'm wanting to purify myself. Pure and spotless, let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. If you're still in your sin, you're, you're not bearing the likeness of Jesus. And the wonder of wonders is that Jesus tells, takes hell-bent sinners and he makes them his children. And if you come to Jesus this morning, he's promised you. You will become his child. You will become his forever. And what we've spoken of, this blessed, happy hope, will one day be your experience Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Stand with me as we sing Wesley's hymn. Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. Till we cast our crowns before him, lost in wonder, love, and praise.